Welcome to episode 44 of Give Him Hell Brigham. Jeff, the market has been a little topsy-turvy. GameStop is back. It's on a run. They had to halt trading again today after a stock split and things are going wild. The <laughs> crypto market is also going crazy. I looked and my net worth is down about $5 million because, you know, because Stellar is down a little bit. And so it's, that's affecting the value of our Brigham corn portfolio. You know, yeah. it's a little sad. Yeah. Uh, but we're getting more stimulus checks. So I'm getting my own money back, which is nice. Yeah. You're, you're getting a loan on the money that you're getting a loan. It's like a really high interest loan yes. because you're paying like the 300% really is what you're well, paying. Our great grandkids will be paying. Somebody's paying. Yes. The money, but even if we just take it into the cost that you're going to pay, if you were to just assume that everything was like a simple interest rate and inflation didn't exist, they just gave you $1,400 to allow you, but really them, to borrow $5,300. Yes. So you're paying $3,900 interest, sort of, to get access to your $1,400. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, what's, it's just money, you know, it's neither here nor there. It's all fake. I mean, that's what I've learned. Roblox. Yeah. Do you know Roblox? No, the stupid I, game Roblox. Uh, I've it's like Minecraft but different or something like that. Yeah, it has like a little bit more. Uh, I don't know what I'm gonna call it definition, but it's, it's like, basically Minecraft, but it has uh, better it's like, characters. It's like digital Legos. Yeah, it's going public, and they are projecting that its initial price. I I can't remember the total value of the company, but they're saying it's that the initial price is going to be forty five billion. Yeah, and the initial stock price is supposed to be like 44 and a half is what they're projecting. This is just, a, it's all fake, man. Like, it's all fake. Everything well, is made up. It's I all think, fake. And I think people, a lot of people just don't, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, like people just fundamentally do not understand money. Like, well, I mean, look at the amount of debt, that consumer debt that there is in the United States. Like we know people don't understand finances in personal finances, but I think people just don't understand the nature of money, right? Like yeah, it's I think so. like as being a like an exchange medium that's a placeholder because I can't go out and find someone that's like, hey, uh, I'll give you two Python scripts for a bag of apples. Like that doesn't work, right? So it's like I gotta have something in between and just or when people are like, well, no, it's not actual debt because the government is like raising money. They're getting this $5,300 by, you know, selling treasury bills. It's like, okay, yes, but a lot of the countries that normally bought those treasury bills, which they will have to pay out future on those. And so it's, if you keep running a debt, eventually those bills come due. And so it's like the countries are stopping to buy those also. And if no one buys them, then they go to the federal reserve and the federal reserve buys the treasury bills, but that's a literal money printing machine because in accounting, I mean, as a banker, Jeff, you can value this more, you have to have mm -hmm. a debit and a credit. But if you have a one-sided transaction where the Federal Reserve can say, yes, I will give you money for that, but there's nobody knows what's on like their balance sheet, like it's audited, like they can, it is an open-ended transaction where they can just the same way I created one trillion nine hundred and eighty-four billion Brigham coins <laughs> can just make that into existence to pick up the rest of the T-bills. Like that's why the money supply goes up. 
and people just don't understand it. Just at a very, at a very, very fundamental level, this is my favorite uh, illustration of the problem that is American currency and money, right? Because there's a difference between currency and money, and that's something else for another day. But at a very fundamental level, Garrett, if I have the only dollar in existence, I'm the Federal Reserve, and I've just printed the only dollar that is in existence. You with me? There's one dollar. And I hand you that dollar, and I say, Garrett, I'm going to give you this dollar, but I want it at a price. I want you to pay me back with interest. Well, there's only supposed to be one dollar in existence, and I just handed it to you. What on earth are you going to use to pay the interest? Theoretically, right, it's not supposed to exist. And that is the very foundation of the entire American currency is that interest is supposedly in charge of everything, right? Like everything is okay. It's okay to borrow and it's okay to lend because you're going to recoup it via interest. But if you undo all of the millions and millions and billions of transactions that have happened and you try to trace it back to the first dollar, it's impossible, right? It would have been impossible to pay the debt of I just borrowed the only dollar in existence and I'm supposed to pay back a dollar ten. And there at its very core is how we know that this American financial system is based on running at a deficit. So we talk about the national deficit. If we got rid of the deficit, the entire system would crash. The, the system as we know it would crash because it's, it's a deficit-based system. We have to run in debt because if we don't, there literally aren't enough dollars to pay everything back. Yeah, well, and obviously there's a lot of timing and everything is, you know, borrowing from Peter to pay off Paul. That's how everything works, right? But they, you know, and it's, we're no longer backed by gold because at least you're backed by gold as you mine more gold, you could stably increase the money supply. But mm-hmm. last year, Jeff, did you know that in 2020, the Federal Reserve increased the money supply in just 2020 alone by more than what the entire sum total of U.S. dollars that existed in 2009. Yeah. In a single year, printed more money than what existed from 1776 to (laughs) 2009. I did know this. And let me tell you what I did. I think we've talked about this on the show. Um, But in April-ish, I bought silver on a whim. Like I've always known silver, but, but I just like late night, running PPP loans during round one, a friend of mine at work, it was seriously like two in the morning. We just went and bought a bunch of bullion. We paid $14 an ounce. That bullion is currently worth $26.27 an ounce. That's how much the spot price of silver has gone up in the last nine months. Silver and other precious metals, gold, platinum, palladium, those go up when trust in the dollar goes down. When people are not confident in the U.S. dollar, the U.S. financial system, precious metals, Bitcoin, all of those secure systems, you can actually retain your financial value by securing a finite resource. All of those things go up. And look at what is happening with Bitcoin, with really crypto in general, with all of the precious metals across the board. Look at their trends over the last 12 months and tell me. How confident do you feel that the people who have money in this country are in the dollar? Because based on all of those trends, they're not very confident, folks. And this 
is your emergency preparing with Garrett and Jeff. Go find yourself something that will retain its value because the dollar, my friends, might not be it. I, yeah, I don't know if we'll see. And it could be, a, I mean, if you are of the LDS believing type, or I guess if you're even like a, a Christian in general and you believe in. Yeah, if you've ever read the book of Revelations. Right. right. You know that uh, some, some things got to happen that will not be so fun. And I don't know. I mean, nobody knows when that's going to happen, but I imagine entire collapse of the American financial system given you know the current state of the world and where the U.S. is and politically as a global leader, uh, um, entire collapse of the U.S. financial system is probably going to be somewhere involved in that timeline of events. And this show is not going to turn around on a higher note very quickly because we have to talk about the absolute murder that Gonzaga basketball yeah. program gave BYU last night. That sucks, man. Before we do that, let's let's take a minute and let's uh let's hear from our sponsors. Hershey High Country Beef is still phenomenal beef. We've talked about Hershey High Country for the last couple of weeks. We're going to continue to talk about Hershey High Country and it really fits with what we're talking about of emergency preparation and take control of the supply chain. HersheyHighCountryBeef.com. Scott Hershey grew up raising cattle. His grandpa, an immigrant from Switzerland, helped settle the Bear Lake Valley and was one of the first to raise cattle in Bear Lake. Scott grew up learning from his grandpa and his dad the ins and outs of raising beef, and it's always been a dream of his to own his own ranch. Scott found himself in corporate America throughout his career, but he always kept his passion of ranching as a side hobby. He and his wife, they raised five sons and a daughter on their ranch. In the past, because it was just a side hobby, calves would be sold off to meat suppliers and distributors. And But recently, we, everybody, the entire country has experienced, experienced what can happen to a disrupted supply chain. Uh, the beef shortage that we all went through earlier in, in the year 2020 was not due to a lack of beef supply, but rather an inability to process and transport beef to consumers. Hershey High Country Beef eliminates the middleman and eliminates that problem by providing beef directly from their ranch to you, the consumer. The SWH Ranch raises grass-fed Angus beef in the mountains of southeast Idaho in the summer and along the Great Salt Lake in the winter. They are currently reserving whole or half beef that will be ready early summer. In the future as they grow, they hope to be able to provide on-demand meat options, but for now you reserve your whole or half beef. That is mountain pasture, free-range, grass-fed, hormone-free beef right from the ranch to your freezer. A whole beef is approximately 400 pounds of beef. will run between $2,600, $3,100, or you can reserve a half beef. That's about 200 pounds, 1300, about 1300 to about $1,600, depending on the size of the cow. Phenomenal beef, phenomenal product, and a phenomenal local company run by phenomenal people. Uh, if you are in the market, if you have freezer space, if you enjoy having your food supply and you need beef to help supply and prepare for your own collapse of the American economy, this is a great way to do it, to put a few hundred pounds of beef in your freezer that is going to taste absolutely delicious. Even if you're not a doomsdayer and you don't think the end of the world is coming imminently, then just increase your palate 
by giving yourself some top-notch, high-quality beef to fill out your freezer. HersheyHighCountryBeef.com, H-I-R-S-C-H-I, HersheyHighCountryBeef.com. Amen. It's like, I mean, that's, every time I hear that story, it's almost, you know, you just, you feel that still small voice telling you to go eat some high quality beef. I just feel American, man. Like I just feel, I feel this true patriotism thinking about, I don't know, thinking about free range cows and beef. I don't know. It just feels like that is the American way. The, it really is. I mean, the speaking of the American way, what did you griddle up this week? Uh, I made some al pastor a little bit earlier in the week. Did you use the rotisserie? Um, I did. I used, the roti- I used the rotisserie on my kettle, and then I threw it after I cut it. I threw it onto the griddle to just make it like crunchier, like give right. it a little bit of texture. Uh, it turned out well, so I did that. And then uh, I made something else that I was going to tell you about, but I forgot. But I remember I had like multiple tins out on my Blackstone because I had a lot of things going on, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, I remember. It was it was just grilled cheese. But here's what I did. With the grilled cheese, the butter that I used, I made a garlic butter that I put in garlic, uh, some parsley, some green onions, and then the butter. Let that all come together. Buttered my bread that way. And then I put in some Gruyere cheese and some smoked Gouda cheese with a slice of ham in between. It took my entire sandwich to a completely different level, right? Like this is a grilled ham and cheese. We've all had grilled ham and cheese sandwiches. They taste the same everywhere you go. This was, this was the equivalent of going from a McDonald's 99 cent double cheeseburger to I don't know, some fancy restaurant $12 burger. Like that was how elevated my grilled cheese went. We all know the staple grilled cheese. I took it to a completely different level and it was really super easy just by using some high-end cheese. I did feel a little bit rich. We're pre-rich, but I wanted to feel rich. So I bought some fancy cheese and then I, I made my own little garlic butter with some, with some green onions. It changed the game, man. It ch- absolutely changed the game. So I also made some steak frites this week, but that that grilled cheese was phenomenal. The I love a good high-end grilled cheese. We I, sometimes we've done that too, where we've gone, um, you know, to the store and just got some like nicer bread. And I mean, I love a solid grilled cheese with like just good American cheese, like the cheap junky grilled cheese oh, yeah. or something great about that. But sometimes I do love just like a premium, like you know, go to the deli counter. Like if you go to the deli counter to get like slice cheese, you don't have to buy like half a pound. Like I oh, see, this, this was still like, it was a wheel of cheese that yeah. I bought a chunk of the wheel, had to grade it myself. And I, I mean, I can't afford to do that all the time, but right. I did this last week. Well, I mean, so we've even done it though. Where we're like, okay, we want, oh, let's do this cheese. And we're like, we want five slices of this and four slices oh, yeah. of that and whatever. And it ends up being like, six bucks, whatever, like, you know, worth right, of, right. and not like super expensive or anything. Um, but I did, I did, we did fajitas on Saturday and it was great. Like just having the real estate of, you know, dumping your peppers and onions on getting that going, dumping the chicken or steak on mixing that up, pushing it off to the side. I could throw down a dozen tortillas at once to heat those up and then just 
being able to scoop it up. Like if you've ever wanted to feel like a real estate mogul, just buy yourself a Blackstone and, or other griddle. I'm sure I know there's other brands, whatever, but they really, and I think, and you and I talked about this a few months ago, and this is, as we've been working on the magazine content, uh, this statement may make an appearance there, but I think if you're going to tell somebody that they like, they're like, ah, I don't do a ton of outdoor cooking, like whatever. I'm just going to buy one thing. Like I've got the money to buy one single thing. What should I get? I would 100% tell them to get a griddle instead of grill. Because if you're not a big, if you're not a big outdoor cooker, you're probably cooking, you're in the summer, you're probably cooking hot dogs and maybe the occasional steak, grilling some burgers. Like if you're not super big outdoors cooking, like cooking outside, that's probably what you're doing. So you can do all of that. But then, like I said, like you can do fajitas in like literally five minutes. You can do instead of the burgers, you can throw so many on and then keep them off to the side to stay warm while you're toasting up your buns. You can do breakfast. Like, you know, the other day we did, you know, breakfast and it's like, I had like eight, 12 pieces of bacon, like a half dozen eggs and eight pieces of French toast going all at the same time. Right. Like it's the ability to do breakfast and other like chopped foods that would normally fall through a grate on a grill. Like I would say, if you are only going to get one thing get a griddle and then get something you can smoke on and just a plain straight grat gas grill or whatever. Like that doesn't do anything for you. Gas. Grills uh, yeah, are I, agree. I agree with that. Uh, I think that dollar for dollar, the griddle is your best outdoor accessory followed closely by the cheapest Weber kettle that you can find. Yeah. The only difference being that the Weber kettle you got to buy charcoal or something. You got to buy fuel. It does. It's an ongoing cost where the Blackstone, you buy the Blackstone once and then you got to pay, you know, whatever it is to have a propane tank once or twice a summer. That's right. it. So because of that, I will say dollar for dollar, the Blackstone is the best outdoor cooking accessory that anybody can buy. If you only have $300 for the rest of the next decade, and you can buy one outdoor grilling or outdoor cooking accessory, I would suggest the Blackstone. Yeah. Well, and not even, even if you don't even have $300, you can get $200. So you can get a it's 28 cheap. inch. Cheap. Or even I saw, I was walking through the store and I think there's a, uh, they have a little tailgater one that I think I'm probably going to have to buy at some point in my life. Yeah. There's a, um, it's like 18 inches, I think. Yeah. There's a, there's that. And I think there's other like store brand ones starting to pop up. Like, I think there's like a Kirkland one. There's like a members oh, yeah. one at Sam's club. Like there's a lot of options now in the griddle market. Get a griddle folks, get a griddle and be why you got griddled. They absolutely got griddled. Let's so talk depressing. about the, let's talk about the women first. Uh, this was a game. Now they made a big deal about this and I was actually a little bit surprised. Uh, in fact, um, let me go find the tweet. Dave McCann he didn't pull any punches. Like you would have thought that he was on the team with the disgust that he had for the way that the, the women had played. Let me find this tweet after, uh, after BYU lost, if you didn't catch the game or see what happened, uh, Gonzaga won on a, uh, a buzzer beater. And it was a, it was a close game. BYU led the entire way. 0.6 seconds left on the clock. Gonzaga takes the inbounds play, hits a shot, wins by one. Uh, people immediately went to 
you know, time was it really 0.6 seconds. It looked like the clock was delayed. The refs didn't call a travel like guys. BYU was up by big in this game. It never should have come down to anywhere. And this is basketball. Sometimes the refs miss things and it goes into BYU's favor. Sometimes it doesn't like we, we've got to get over this infatuation, but the refs are somehow out to get everybody. But after the game, here is Dave McCann's tweet. And I want to read this to you word for word. And you tell me <laughs> like he must have felt like he personally, I, I, he had to have money on the game. It's the only explanation. He said Zags win at the buzzer major stumble by BYU women's basketball against a team with six of their players who were sick credit the Zags BYU got what they earned through poor shooting and poor decisions, second place and likely no NCAA tournament, such a missed opportunity. I was like, you're the voice of BYU TV. Yeah. That is like, dude, you're supposed to be a Homer, right? Like, Like that felt to me like, Whoa, what was he? Does he have like a daughter on the team? And he's like super passionate. It just felt like it was a a pretty harsh description of the game. BYU got what they earned. This is Gonzaga. Like I get it. Some of their players were sick, but it wasn't like a COVID thing. It was a, they had like a, a, a food poisoning that went around their locker room. So like the girl who hit the game winner was one of the sick ones. Like, so clearly they weren't like, I mean, sick we again. all know what happens when people who have food poisoning play basketball games against teams from Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Although Michael Jordan never had food poisoning. Michael Jordan was hungover. I mean, is alcohol on the menu at restaurants? Does that constitute food? It is a type of food poisoning, <laughs> one could one could say. Yeah, okay, that's true. Uh, no, I, he was hung over though. There's there's no dispute about that at this no, point, right? No, like after no. after the documentary came out, the the 30 for 30, like the whatever 10 episode thing it was, and he's like, Oh yeah, the pizza guy, he uh they food poisoned like BS. No, they didn't. Like you were hungover. You weren't actually sick. The flu game is a myth, and we have perpetuated this myth. He was hungover. That's all that it was. I have a story about Michael Jordan, and I don't know. It could have been. It was during the same finals, so it could have very well been uh, that game, for all I know. I don't know. But typically, he would like to stay in Salt Lake, like the Grand America. I don't know what the hotels were. Uh, but he would go golf during their downtime because right the finals, it isn't like the regular season that the team comes in maybe the night before and then they practice, they go to the game and then they fly out the finals. Like you're here for three or four days. Right. Uh, because especially back then, the way that the finals worked out is it was three games at one venue, four games at the other, and then three games back in the original vendor or whatever. The, right. That's not enough, but whatever the breakdown is two, three, uh, whatever they didn't alternate two, three, like two. they do now as much yeah yeah, yeah. two three two is what it was and anyway so he would go frequently they would stay in salt lake and he would go golf in park city right and there was one time that somebody leaked out his tea time so there was a bunch of media guys a bunch of media people and he got wind that there was going to be a ton of media people at the golf course in park city so he rerouted his golfing extravaganza and he went from Salt Lake to Logan, and he ended up playing at a little country, or a little course called Logan Rivers in Cache Valley. How do I know this? Because I had a friend who 
I guess it was my dad's friend or my, my grandpa's friend, somebody, some family friend who was golfing by himself that day. And they said, hey, we got one more for you if you, you don't mind delaying your tee time for a minute and going out as a twosome. Well, that one more ended up being Michael Jordan. So that was who he golfed with. I, it was right around the same time as the flu game. And like he wasn't sick then. He didn't. I, I just think that he was probably hungover. That's the story is that there was a lot of alcohol consumed on that golf course that day. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, except for I am. And uh, I'm not a know, conspiracy man. theorist, except for that I am. Well, I am. So anyway, Michael Jordan, that was fake. But yeah, the women uh, supposedly food poisoning on the Zags, but uh, they came back. They won. I'm not ready to give up hope that they are completely out of the NCAA tournament. I think they have a shot at a low seed, a 13-14 type seed. And did, did the they restrict seeds. the field for the um I don't women? Think so. did they shrink it at all? I don't think so. Okay. I think it's the same. So that was a tough one. Shayla Gonzalez did not have her best game. Uh Paisley Harding played well. Lauren Gustin played well. They really played well. The difference was Shayla Gonzalez. She didn't really come on until the second half and really uh, mostly the fourth quarter. I think up through the fourth quarter, she only had nine points, which was significantly uh, below where she normally is. So that was a little bit of a bummer. And I think that ultimately killed BYU in the end. If she plays like she's capable of playing, the Cougars win. So Gonzaga ripped the hearts away from the women only to do the same exact thing to the men a few hours later. The worst part about the women is that it was like literally 0.6 seconds. Like, do you remember that year in the playoffs when, in the NBA playoffs, when um, the Lakers and, oh shoot, what's his name? Who's the guy that played for the Lakers and he played for the Jazz and he was lied about his daughter needing eye surgery and that's why I needed ah, to go back Derek to Derek Fisher. Yes, Derek Fisher like made a shot, like inbound in the ball with like 0.4 seconds left and somehow got it out of his hand. That's what happened yesterday. And it was so depressing. The only thing that didn't make that depressing was that I was in Tucson eating a Sonoran hot dog while it happened. And I, I, never, I saw a picture of that hot dog. That it was good. fantastic. Like it's hot dogs are so underrated. Sonoran hot dogs are so underrated. Yeah, I agree. Like nobody, people do not understand the greatness of, taking a hot dog, wrapping it in bacon, cooking it, grilling a big green chili, slicing it open, putting the hot dog in the chili, and then putting that inside the bun, and then putting cheese, like whatever you want, right? Yeah. So what I got had nacho cheese on it, and then it, it had beans, tomatoes, onions, sour cream, and mustard piled up on it and the bun isn't like a normal bun it's like a bun. it's like a torta roll right yeah like it's like huge. a yeah it's like a torta roll because it's like you can't fit that all in a normal bun but it's like i mean that's a thing in like northern sonora and it's like made its way into tucson it's kind of like what tucson is known for and there's stands everywhere it looks and, good and i've never met a sonoran hot dog i didn't like yeah i i totally believe that um i i saw another sam i feel like we're becoming a commercial for sam the cooking guy but i watched him make just a bean and cheese burrito and he did something 
that absolutely changes the game. So he put bean cheese, rice, like all that stuff, right? Made his own beans, whatever. He roasted a poblano pepper. And then he cut it open, right? You, You roast it, you sweat it, you take off all the skin, and then you have your roasted pepper. He cut off a huge slice of that pepper. So the poblano, right? Like they're long peppers. He cuts off a huge slice of that pepper and he lays his beans down on the tortilla. And then he just puts an entire strip of that poblano pepper over the length of the beans on the tortilla. Yes. And then he puts his rice and cheese and whatever else. He is guaranteed to get pepper in every bite. Yeah. When you make a burrito, you can't just slop it on. Like you have to put and spread. Right. Like it's, you have to, you have to get a solid thing. Cause otherwise it's like, Oh, this bite is like hundred percent sour cream. And this bite is like, there was a piece of chicken or carne asada or whatever you got in there. Like it's a, yeah, you have to spread. So that way you get a mix of things in every bite to make the perfect burrito. Or if you get, I mean, or if you're making tacos, you can do the similar thing with that on. And they call that like, it's normally called like a chippy loan, which is like a spoiled little kid. And so is what that means. But it's, if you get a taco like that, that has a grilled poblano, usually they'll have like, I mean, the taco and then a grilled poblano and then cheese melted on top and then mm-hmm. filled with whatever you can call it a chipilone. And that's, that is my personal favorite. If I'm going just a game changer, I forget that you live down there basically in Mexico. And I mean, so all of this me stuff really is hard. Yeah. Let me see how f- actually like, close i am as the let me see as the it's it, it's that's the crow flies <laughs> dude i don't know like how far that is i mean because you gotta i kind of gotta go a little bit so it's like because a little bit out of the way but i'm legitimately do, do, do from the border the closest border is legitimately like i don't know less than 10 miles from my house yeah. Yeah, so when, if you have Mexican food questions, ask Garrett because here we are. And, you know, here it's... we are. Uh, so the men, BYU came out hot, man, and they started as well as you could start. Like, they were absolutely phenomenal. Everything was dropping in the first half. Trevin Nell looked like Jimmer. Like, BYU shot 70, what was it, like 74%? in the first half. Yes. And I said this, I said this to a friend, uh, BYU. Okay. On the surface, BYU went into the half with a 12 point lead against Gonzaga. That's huge, right? Like what a huge accomplishment. BYU shot 75% and they were only up 12. That was kind of the way to look at it. Like Gonzaga's yeah. just so good. There's a, I think a legitimate argument to be made that this year's Gonzaga team is the best team that BYU basketball has played ever. I don't oh, know I the don't, research. I don't to go back. think that that's a like real question even like, I think yeah, 100%, I think 100%, this is the best Zags team to ever. Well, Zags. I mean like the best team, the best team of any opponent that BYU has played might be this version of Gonzaga. I'm not a basketball aficionado. So there might be like some games where BYU ran into, you know, John Wooden's UCLA teams back in the day. And maybe there's an argument to be made that those teams were more dominant than this year's Gonzaga team. But I think you could make a very, very compelling case 
that BYU played the best team of any name, whether it's Gonzaga, whether it's UNLV with you know Jerry Tarkanian and all those teams, BYU played the best team they have ever played last night. I would probably, yeah, I get, it has to be that. I mean, looking at them, it's, they're the number one team in Ken Palm right now. The rating is a 37 and a half and Baylor's number two at a 32. So they're saying they're going to be a five point favorite yeah. over the number two team in the country. They have Jalen Suggs, who I think will probably, if he's not the number one pick, he's the number two pick in the NBA draft, yeah. which that's that's the one element that a lot of the BYU, like the teams that have been great, that BYU has played over the course of its history, right? You're talking about like Kawhi's San Diego State teams. You're talking about even those old UNLV teams. They had very, very good teams, great teams, but they didn't have number one like Kawhi Leonard was phenomenal and he's turned out to be one of the best players in the NBA but he was still like a mid-round I don't even think he was a lottery pick like this Gonzaga team has depth they have size and they have a bona fide stud who people are projecting to be drafted at number one or number two yeah this Gonzaga team has everything I think this really is the best BYU or team best opponent that BYU has ever played and it was tough, right? It's tough to lead in the second half and uh, and not come away with the win. And ultimately, they lost by 10 points. Gonzaga got hot. Corey Kispert got hot. Jalen Suggs got hot. And, and BYU got cold. And that 12-point lead, man, that 12-point lead that BYU worked so hard to get, right? For the first 20 minutes, it was gone in four and a half minutes. And I'm, I'm – are you superstitious? Uh, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. So somebody texted me at halftime and said, we can't miss exclamation point. You don't need to protect them with anonymity. I mean, I'm I would not say somebody call. who wasn't, we need to know. Um, okay. Well, sorry. Danny Holmgren at the there homes. This there is 100% your fault. And I'm blaming you. <laughs> like, That's fair. You know, it was, I didn't even watch till the like 14 minutes left in the second half because I was out running some errands and I got home after the game had started and I saw we had a lead. And so in another like group text with my roommates from college, I was like, Hey, uh, just like Kimmy posted when you need me to tag in, because I'm not messing with this. Like I'm not rocking this boat. Like, you know, you think your wife does this, right? Like she will not watch the second half of any BYU game of any football game because it's bad luck. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. And so yeah, like, she, that's how my wife is that she will go upstairs and watch in bed. Yeah. And so I, or, or, well, she won't watch in bed. She will go upstairs and follow Twitter. That's how she'll go in the second half. Every and so I, yeah, I can't, you know, I wasn't going to rock that boat because it's, we were shooting lights out against the number one team in the country. I like, who am I to tempt fate? Well, then. Thanks, Danny. Someone else tempted it and fate done faded itself <laughs> way to go and danny look it might have been my fault it could have been me let me tell you why collectively is this the two of you i mean i don't know right? like, I, maybe maybe it was me maybe it was I, I don't know i i watched this game on my computer in bed it started at seven so i wasn't going to bed but i just happened to hop into my bed to, to watch the game 
which meant I was wearing sweatpants and I, I wasn't planning on going to sleep. So I just kept my sweatpants on as I watched in bed. And I stayed there because they were playing so well. That was honestly what I was expecting because I was expecting them to, I was expecting BYU to lose and to lose big and to lose quickly. So I had no intention of watching the duration of the game. But when they played well, it was like, whoa, I guess I'm going to continue to watch this. And I, at halftime, I took off my sweats. And then I got into bed and watched the game. And then the second half happened and, and the rest is history. I, I think my sweatpants may have played a role in this game. Gosh, dang it. Jeff, have we, I think collectively, everybody who changed whatever they were doing between the first half and the second half, collectively, we share that blame. I also, I bet money, I wasn't confident in BYU. They were a 14 and a half point dog going into the game. And I didn't like that, but the first half line was seven and a half. And so I put money on BYU in the first half and I cashed out, right? They played well. Uh, And then when BYU went into halftime with a 12 point lead on Bovada, I don't think it was this way everywhere, but on Bovada, uh, Gonzaga on the money line went to even money. Which is ridiculous. I don't know. When you go and you see the best team maybe ever to play BYU with an even money line, it's really hard not to put money on that line. And, and so uh, I did. Every penny that I had in my Bovada account was put on Gonzaga with the money line. I, I viewed it I didn't view it as a lack of confidence in BYU when I did it. I viewed it as a way to hedge my happiness, right? Either at the end of this game, I was either going to be thrilled because I had just doubled my, my gambling account, or I was going to have zero money in my gambling account, but I was going to be pumped because BYU just knocked off the number one team in the country. Always, always, always bet. If you're going to bet on a game for a team you care about bet money line, against your team don't mess with the spread because then you can lose twice and that is the worst possible outcome but always 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 bet money line against your team so that way even when you lose you win or to reframe it this way how much would you be willing to pay to guarantee a win over gonzaga how much would you be willing to pay to avoid the heartbreak feeling that causes people to angry tweet after a game. Maybe we need to set up a Bovada account for that guy who gets mad and tags Russell M. Nelson after BYU games. Yeah, man. If you're if you're a listener and you're tagging the profit after a loss, we got we got discussions that need to be had. So it was a tough game, right? Tough game for BYU. Uh, and now we head into selection Sunday. Like, there's not any any doubt that BYU will be selected. I think they are firmly locked in. I'm really curious where they're going to be seated. This loss to Gonzaga is the elusive quality loss, right? Right. BYU has moved up. They moved up in Kim Palm after the game. And on Bracket Matrix, they are now they're the uh, last six, six seed. Well, yeah. Six, seven. So they're it's a rounding difference, but they're basically tied with Oklahoma as the top seven seed. Right. And, and there are some school or some that are still up there that they have them ranked as a, 
as high as the three seed. I think there's still the one. Our friends over at uh, what are they? Our friends over at Factor still have BYU as a two seed. It's hard for me to really buy into that, obviously, but there's still a lot of of belief that BYU is going to be seated at minimum a seven seed. I, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I, I just see BYU as an eight or nine seed, which would be the absolute worst, right? Eight or nine seed means you're getting a second round matchup with Duke, or with Duke, with Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, or Illinois. And you're toast, right? You're toast. Yeah. Versus a, a seven seed that you're getting a, a, a second round matchup against Villanova, West Virginia, like teams that Arkansas feels a lot more winnable. Right. So, man, we need to put all of our positive energy and all of whatever superstitions, if it's your sweatpants, if it's Danny, just shut your damn phone for a little while, whatever it is, uh, we put all of our good vibes into not an eight or a nine seed on Sunday. Yeah. As you don't want that eight, nine mess. Like it's, we did that with the Texan eight, Texas A&M twice, right? With Jimmer, like, don't want that. The something that is noticing is we're going through looking at where this could be. And we were talking uh, to Mitch Harper the other day, who's going to be sent by KSL out to Indianapolis to be covering the so tournament. Cool. Yeah. Very awesome. and Lucky for him that he gets to go this year. The, this has been a great year for college basketball in the state, right? So obviously BYU is a lock like SUU is the one seed in the big sky tournament. And I, um, see S yeah. SUU is the one seed in the big sky tournament. Weber is the three seed. So good chance that either of them could very well win the big sky. UVU is the two seed in the WAC tournament. So they basically, you know, got to take care of business in there. Only they got a knockoff GCU and Utah state is the two seed and they won the Mountain West tournament last year and could, you know, knock off San Diego State again this year. So it's like there could be, you know, there's a timeline where you could see either S- UVU, Utah State, BYU, and either SUU or Weber and have four schools from the state in the, in the tournament in one year, and that would be pretty dang awesome. Pretty good. Pretty good. I mean, four schools in the state to get into the tournament, and none of them are Utah. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be a BYU fan dream scenario. Uh, that's everybody's dream scenario at this point, even maybe Utah fans, because maybe finally, if they officially miss the tournament again, Larry Kay will be fired. But somehow I know he's got a big buyout and a big contract, but I'm not convinced that uh, he doesn't have some sort of scathing pictures of, of Kyle Whittingham that uh, he would threaten to release if he is fired, thus bringing down both the basketball team and the football team. Yes, I want that to happen. In fact, you know what? We're not conspiracy theorists, except for we are. Could well, it's be, not a theory if it's fact. Could it be that the person on the anonymous Twitter account that brought the Morgan Scally scandal to light was, in fact, Larry Kay after he felt his seat getting a little bit hot? Ooh. I Could it be? It might be. I don't know that it isn't. How about that? I mean, until it can be proven otherwise. I mean, we're we're not gonna roll with this whole, uh, you know, the prosecution has to bring the evidence. Thing. No, until you can prove to me that it's not, you are guilty until proven yeah. innocent. <laughs> you are in this show. That's a hundred percent how we work here. So, so anyway, yeah. 
bummer I, for basketball. It really good is a bummer. Come Sunday. Yeah, I think good things will come Sunday, and it really, I I still think that the team is peaking at the right time. Like they even when they played sloppy, they won a clunker against Pepperdine on Monday night, and they played tight with the best team in the country. And so it's like you know, could this team? depending on i think a lot of it depends on style matchups because i think the biggest weakness of this team is ball handling and once the zags started to press a lot more in the second half is when we really struggled and so it just felt like you know and that's same thing that pepperdine did like they pressed hard and it's once we got into a half court set like it really struggled moving the ball around without turning the ball over and creating any sort of real sort of separation and so once you know it depends a lot on matchup of who they end up drawing, but I think easily like, you know, this, I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, dip out in the first round or, you know, get a seven seed and make a, you know, end up in the sweet 16, like in that, you know, neither of those would surprise me just because it seems like in big games, Mark Pope always has his guys ready to play. He does. And that's, that's the one thing that should give every, BYU fans, whether you want solace or you want confidence moving forward, uh, Mark Pope had that team ready to play. Like Mark Pope is a very, very, everybody knows this. We're not breaking any news here. He is a bona fide big time head coach. And uh, I'm anxious to see what he does in the tournament because that is theoretically, right? Like this is the environment where he's going to shine, where he has shined throughout his two years at, at, at BYU is big moments when he's counted out, right? Like last year going to Houston on the road without Yoli, BYU was never supposed to be in that game and they won. There's, there's been a lot of moments like that beating number one Gonzaga last year when BYU is counted out. That's when Mark Pope has his guys ready to go. Maybe this loss and the way that they lost is a good thing. Maybe it does give them a little bit of a jolt. Um, that, Hey, you got the confidence that you guys can beat these guys, but you've got to play good for 40 minutes, not 36. You got to play good for 40 minutes. It'll be interesting to see. That wasn't the only big news of the week. Uh, the biggest news, because look, we are a football school. This is a football show. We love yes. basketball. You love basketball. I tolerate basketball. Uh, no, I, 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 to- I tolerate basketball. I, I love basketball in March, uh, but the rest of basketball, you know, take it or leave it. But football, we love all the time. BYU, the Nakua tradition continues at BYU, not once, twice. Nakuas are coming to BYU. Uh, Samson Nakua out of Utah has transferred, announced his transfer. I do think it's slightly curious that BYU has not officially announced these transfers. They've retweeted the tweets from Puka and Samson, but they have not announced them themselves, some, which makes me wonder if there's still some, hopefully it's just crossing some, some ink. Got it. The, the ink is not completely dry yet on this one. Yeah. That makes, I don't think that they're going to flip and transfer somewhere else, but uh, they still got to get admitted. Right. Like, and I, that would be, that would be the only thing that is delaying an official announcement from BYU at this point. There's no like NCAA rules that would prohibit them from adding transfers. So the only thing is admissions and doesn't sound like, you know, I mean, BYU wouldn't be excited. Like the, the Kunakuas probably don't go public with this, especially Puka who 
announced his transfer like what 24 hours after he had the portal uh i don't think they're going public with this unless they're pretty confident that this admission thing is not going to be a big deal but slight caveat is that hey byu hasn't officially announced anything something to watch my assumption is well obviously i think they know what puka's grades are and as long as puka's grades were fine at washington admission isn't an issue there it's i think the issue with this it's similar to how there was a little bit of a delay when emmanuel Asukpa got announced and when there's a little bit of delay when Tyson Williams got announced, even though everyone knew they're coming and they committed, he couldn't officially announce it because they had to find the grad program to fit them in. And Samson so being God. a grad transfer, they have to find a spot for him, figure out which grad program he's going to slide into. And I'm sure it'll be fine. And they, but until that, you know, those steps get taken care of, they probably are not going to announce both of them because they want to do similarly to the graphic that was made by BYU that Puka and Samson both posted, you know, they are going to want to make the press release, you know, about both of them, or maybe uh, they're just going to jump in. Maybe they're just going to jump in and do a deep blue right out. And that's how they're going to announce it. And that's, that would be cool time. And that, that is going to be a good you deep know, blue. with Kai in there and yeah. their mom. I don't know if you can get Tay, the baby poo, baby Nakua in there. Or I don't know what Isaiah is doing now. Um, but I'd you like know. to see Isaiah involved somehow. Yeah. Like, you he's know, the forgotten guy. He was, he was a bigger recruit than either Samson or Kai. Like Isaiah Nakua was a big time uh, defensive lineman. So I'd like to see them rope him in somehow. Yeah, so it's, you know, maybe they're doing something like that and we'll see and hopefully. Uh, and, and hopefully is, I'm going to go through this uh, and I, I cut you off, but I, no, you're I'm going to go through this and I'm going to look. Pukunakua was rated a, a 96 by 24-7 sports. And I am currently, I started in 1999 and I am going through every class since 1999 and looking at just the state ratings to see where Puka Nakua and his rating fits in the overall landscape of all time recruit ratings at uh, coming from the state of Utah. And I would be absolutely shocked if he is not top at minimum, he's top five, probably top three. Um, that that's going to be my guess. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong. 2002 Scott young was rated a 96, 67. Haloti Nada was rated a 99, 62. All right. This is going to take me some, uh, take me a minute. Uh, I am only a 93 for some reason. And it's maybe the most annoying thing in the world. It resets. Uh, every time I go to a new year, the 24 oh, seven it's annoying ticker. it goes back to the national thing you have to change to the national ratings yeah yeah it's frustrating uh so i have to actually change like the url itself and then i can get around that but it's annoying to do that okay so puka was rated higher than matt reynolds in 2005 a 9503 we're now getting to the time of you know, the, the ultimate the, the time when Recruiting services really started to take off. So ratings should conceivably. Because yeah, everything before that was just backfilled from like Scout and whatnot. Yeah. And so it wasn't, yep. they didn't have actual 24 7 ratings. So you'll see a big change in starting in 2011. Uh, Lynn Katoa 
went to Colorado out of Cottonwood High School. I've never heard of him. Class of 2008, he was rated a 97. How did somebody who is just a year older than me? Oh, man. I just Googled Lynn Katoa, and, uh, and yeah, he went to Colorado and then spent some time in prison after that. So I've never heard of Lynn Katoa either. Yikes. Uh, Puka's not even going to be top five, dude. Oh, really? Uh, Xavier Suafilu, 97-74. John Martinez, another Cottonwood guy. Uh, went to USC, 97-04. Now I have to go all the way just to see – is he going to be top 10? Ricky Haymuli ended up at Oregon, 96-58 in 2010. So, so far, Puka is six, which is, I mean, that's shocking to me. So, get this, Lynn Katoa, he said he was 2008. Uh-huh. He, you know, washed out of Colorado, uh, went to four uh, spent four years in a federal prison after something happened. And, um, oh, his both, he had two uncles that actually played at BYU. Um, and he then in 2016 enrolled as a freshman and played at Adams State, which is a uh, D2 in school. 2016? Yes. Oh like, my word. Look at his uh look at this, you know. So good for him for apparently getting his life sorted out and you know making things about look how that was a freshman in college right there. Oh my word. But dude, uh Cooper Bateman, that's shocking to me. Well, dude, in most of these guys, it's back when Cottonwood was good. Like, remember how it was bizarre how Cottonwood was like they had all that money going in and then they banned that one booster. Who yeah, ended game, up going to Jordan, didn't it? Isn't that where yeah, the money ended up? I think so. And he, like, it was very strange. And he, you know, did not. Uh... Oh, here we go. We Costa can... Messina, Porter Gustin. I, I found the link you are looking for. I think. Oh, good. Because I'm still, I'm, I'm on 2016 now. Oh, maybe this isn't. The well, because I found like the all time football, the all time, but I think it doesn't rank all of them. Oh, yeah, because that only goes down to Xavier Tua and a Sewell Puka just dropped out of the top 10. So, I mean, yeah, but still, Puka is great. Like, this is not anything to disparage him. No, this is shocking. This is uh, and now Noah Sewell in 2020. I gotta do it because I'm here. Let's wrap it up 2021. Kingsley Sewell Matea. And Jackson Dart ended up with a slightly higher rating. Uh, that puts him as number 14 by my very unofficial count. That is mind-boggling because I can I have watched a lot of high school football in the state of Utah. There are not 14 players over the course of the 20 years that I've been paying attention to recruiting rankings. There are not 14 players who were better than Pukunikoa. Are you sure? 100% sure. <laughs> it, it's I have zero doubt well i think a lot of those just being back from you know before being those old backfield stuff but even then a lot of them like i would take puka over porter gustin like i know porter gustin is you know playing in the nfl right and he was okay at usc but not super great he went on he was an undrafted free agent but he you know there's 
I don't see like, you know, you just watch what Puka did and all the records that he set. And it's just like, he's one of those kids that like he stepped on the field and like he felt it. Like, right? like I watched, I watched Osa Messina play and Osa Messina was great. I would take Osa Messina or I would take Puka Nakua over Osa Messina 100 times out of 100. Osa was great. Like he also spent some time, I think, in prison. If not, then uh, in court. <laughs> but I, he was a great football player, great high school football player. I would take Puka 100 times out of 100. Even Jackson Dart. Jackson's my guy. You guys know how much I love Jackson you, Dart. You love, you love Jackson Dart. And I've loved Jackson Dart for years. I bought a USC shirt this week just so that I can support the Jackson Dart game. Because I love Jackson Dart. Uh, I've become friends with his dad and his family. I love Jackson Dart. We've had Jackson Dart on this show. I would take Puka over Jackson. That's I a mean, bold, that is there a bold, are, bold statement. There are not 14 players who are better than Puka Nakua to come out of the state of Utah. Anyway, BYU's added him. That means a lot for the depth this year. Uh, he's going to be eligible right like the ncaa passed their uh their their whether it's a covid transfer exception or just a temporary transfer ex- exception until they officially pass the one-time transfer for free uh forever rule but they did pass it for this year meaning pukunuku is going to be eligible to play at byu next year which is great great news um this is a big deal though he has four years of eligibility left yeah. BYU added a top flight wide receiver who is still a freshman. Like yeah. he I mean this would played be three games. He played three games in 2019 and then 2020 didn't count anyways. He's still a freshman. Right. And so and and you pair that with Chase Roberts who also is like is not a slouch, right? Like he played in the Under Armour All-American game. It's like this right. is this is probably the single best wide receiver room in terms of raw talent. Obviously, or like, you know, obviously they have to live up to expectations or whatever, but in terms of walking into saying like, okay, look at what the experts think we have, you know, you're looking at Gunnar Romney, four-star, Puka Nakua, Chase Roberts, right? Like you have, the, it's like Neil Powell and Samson Nakua are not slouches either. Cody you know, Epps was Co- one of the Co- most productive players at a big time school ever. Right. And so you're a solid. And then plus like Chris Jackson, if you can figure out how to run straight instead of backwards, <laughs> right. You know, and then add in the Keanu elk. Hill, uh, yeah, the Keanu, elk. Uh, Keanu Hill, which I didn't know that I didn't realize that Keanu Hill is uh Roy Williams nephew. Yeah. Weird, I did not, right? I had no, I did not realize that at all, that that was, uh, you know, that that was a thing. Uh and or let's that, not write off Samson Akua. Like yeah. he is productive at uh, at Utah in the Pac-12. He's absolutely one of the better. He, he's going to probably be. I've seen a lot of people that they look at Samson Akua. They look at his stats, especially from last year during Utah's COVID funny year. You cannot take his stats from last year and take draw any takeaways from that. If anybody yeah. saw Utah's quarterback situation last year, they should know that it was an absolute disaster. Yeah. So I would never everything from last year. That's like, okay, look, if you're going to say we shouldn't judge Aaron Roderick as a coordinator based on his time at Utah, because he was stuck with Whittingham. Don't do that. Samson Nakua. And I, yeah. Samson Nakua was pushing. 
I, I, if I were the coach today and I have not seen a single practice, but if we assume that they all grasp the offense at relatively the same level by the time September rolls around, right? I would probably put Nakua, Puka Nakua as wide receiver one. I'd probably stick with Gunner at wide receiver two, but Samson Nakua is talented enough that he could beat Gunner out and I wouldn't be overly surprised. But at the at the worst, and I love Neil Pau. Neil Pau is a great receiver. I would put Neil Pau at wide receiver four going into the season right now. I w- yeah, I would say Samson is a better fit just positionally, even though maybe in terms of like best receivers, but still he would be that third wide receiver just because similarly to power, like he has the bigger body where he mm-hmm. can like it just matchup wise. He works, he is a type of player who can work over the middle better, mm-hmm. kind of yeah. as a pseudo, you know tweener tight end type and so he but yeah so between like nakua puka samson gunner neil pau you know holker rex keanu hill whose dad played in the nfl and so does his uncle like the and uh you know cody epps chris jackson that's a legitimate plus then too it's we can we know that we can split uh lopini katoa out wide we know that tyler algier has decent hands Sione Finaus caught the ball, you know, decently well. You have Mason Wake. We know he catched the ball and he can do some nice things out of the patch position. Now we are legitimately 13 deep of guys that based on playing experience or talent, you're legitimately excited about. And you're actually like, okay, like if a couple guys go down, like it's not the end of the world, right? Like even, right. and so that is that for the first time ever, because even if you look back at like, okay, the John Beck days, right? Like KS, there were tight ends. Like John Beck's senior year, he had Johnny Harleen. Then it was like Michael Reed, Bryce Mawika, and freshman uh, McKay Jacobson. Like that's and, uh, and Dan Coates after Dan Coates had officially become a blocking tight end, right? When he was pushing two seventy five, right? And it's <laughs> we're like okay, Max Hall, right? Like there was in two thousand seven, or uh, or yeah, he had Collie and Pitta, right? And then he, were, he didn't have Scrubs, but it wasn't. Like it was Kali, it was the Kali Pitta show. Yeah. So it was do, 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 do. yeah. So okay. it was is but then the second it was still Michael Reed was there, and then he was the third behind Pitta, and then uh Andrew George had 219 yards receiving, but it was like all of Max's yard or actually Harvey was Unga had uh you know it was he like, had a bunch, he had a bunch, and then it was like so the your leading receivers were Kali. A tight end, your number two receiver at just over 500 yards, and then a running back. Like BYU has never actually had this much talent. Or then in the, or even Maxwell senior year, it was like Pitta, George, Jacobson, and then a mess of other like Luke Ashworth, O'Neill Chambers. Right. You know, BYU could, for the first time in my lifetime that I can remember, and probably ever. BYU could legitimately run a five wide receiver set, an empty backfield five wide receiver set and have it be all wide receivers who you are confident in. Not just like the, the closest that I can remember where BYU felt like that kind of confidence would have been uh, like Mitch Matthews, Devon Blackman, Nick Kurtz and Taryn Howe. Yeah. And even then that was four. And that was four, right? Like I'm trying to remember who the like, fifth receiver was. Mitchell been. Mitchell Jurgens was 
and who era. was great. And so even if we say, okay, great, that's five. They could have run five wide then. If you look on paper, right, we got to see how it all plays out. You look on paper, are you going to take a, 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 a what is that, a, a, a quintet of Puka Nakua, Gunnar Romney, Samson Nakua, Neil Pau, and Cody Epps, or Keanu Hill, or Chase Roberts? Or are you going to take Mitch Matthews, Nick Kurtz, Devon Blackman, Taryn Houck, and Mitchell Jerkins? Like, we all know the answer to that question. This is as deep as the wide receiver group has ever been. And the depth in the future, right? Like there's going to be a one-two punch of Puka Nakua and Chase Roberts for the next Next. four years. Yeah. That's huge. With Cody Epps, who also redshirt last year, that if as long as Cody Epps doesn't get this idea in his head that he wanted to be wide receiver one and is going to transfer or something, you could have those three as a trio for the next four years. Those are three guys who all were legitimate All-Americans in high school. Chase Roberts played in the All-American game, the Under Armour All-American game. Fuka Nakua was an Army All-American, and uh, Cody Epps was named uh, an All-American by USA Today. That's three All-American wide receivers that BYU has in their program for four years. That just doesn't happen. That doesn't even count. Like, usually BYU has walk-ons, right? Like Dax Milne. But usually BYU has walk-ons that'll come on and contribute. And Cade Moore and Tavita Ika, they're both very talented. But there have been people who have speculated that maybe Tavita Ika could get onto the field and make some play. He's not going to, not with no. Puka Nakua, not with Samson. And it has nothing to do with Tavita Ika not being capable. It has everything to do with BYU's loaded at this position. Like, we don't have to look at the walk ons to contribute. BYU is loaded at the wide receiver spot. And unless you are an absolute stud at a walk on, you're just not going to get the opportunity. It's just not there. Which leads me to my question that I have for you. On this roster, where would Dax Milne be? You know I love Dax, but let's not forget, prior to Gunner's hamstring injury mid-year, Gunner had more catches and more yards than Dax did last year. It wasn't until Gunner missed some time and then was sidelined that Dax really emerged into the Dax that we, we all fell in love with last year. Where is Dax Milne sitting on this depth chart had he returned for one more season? He's probably the third receiver. Yeah, third and maybe fourth. Yeah. It's definitely Neil Powell gets bumped down, and it would be, I mean, it a lot of it is just like fit and matchup, right? Uh, uh-huh. between him and Samson. But it's, you know, and all and so and it's hard to tell with Puka because you know he was injured his first season at Washington and then last year uh, like had COVID and they only had a few games and whatnot and everything, but it's like you know, there's, it, yeah, it's the talent is definitely still there. Right. And it's, yeah, I don't know really like, you know, that, yeah, you're looking at a guy who declared early for the NFL draft is likely going to be a late draft pick. And he is somebody that is now like, you know, you're looking at, he would be the fourth best receiver next year, not even counting tight ends, not even counting tight ends, which like by the way, Elk mode has caught on. Oh, yes. Elk mode. We're shipping elk shirts everywhere. Um, I saw yet another. So there was another post, Cougar board, about elk mode. 
and somebody made a comment of it's just a dumb nickname. I saw Isaac Rex's interview and it seemed like, yeah, I don't care if you want to call me that, call me that. Okay, that tells me that's somebody who's never watched an Isaac Rex interview because Isaac Rex never gets high or low. Like Isaac right. Rex just is very steady, dry, hilarious, but very dry all the time. The Rex, this is this nickname has caught on, right? Like when when we, I think we have shipped now in total just to the Rex household alone, not even to the Rex friends and family who we know presumably because of where we're shipping the shirts who we know who has ordered shirts. I, I think we've sent eight now to the Rex house directly, seven or eight shirts just to their house. Uh, 10. 10? I, I mean, think, it's been a bunch. Well, because they initially, they're the two initial ones, I think there were eight in the second order. Okay, well, there you go. So guys, this is caught on. This isn't just some dumb thing that he happened to get asked about it. And so he kind of, you know, weaseled his way through it. Like, no. The elk is sticking, and maybe more importantly, elk mode. Elk mode. Thank you, Amy Rex. Because yeah, if elk mode is that wasn't what's us. going to stick, that wasn't us, right? And when when she called it, when Sister Rex called it elk mode, like that is them jumping onto it. That's not. Well, it's okay. Well, it's and that's just taking, fine, I guess. Yeah, that's taking a good idea. That's taking the elk, and he can still be the elk. But elk mode is what people are going to say. So that's taking a good idea and making it better. And we can't take credit for that. No. But elk mode is what's going to be. I, I just, I live for <laughs> Greg Rebel on the radio call. I want to hear him say, Jacob Carter finds Isaac Rex over the middle and it's elk mode into the end zone. For I want that to happen so bad. Uh, you know, I think it, it probably will happen. It's something it has to, right? As long as you know, get people keep asking about it, right? Like, a, you know, it's get get the get the people in there asking about it, talking about it, calling. You know, if if on other media interviews and things, people are asking about it, like eventually, it will happen. And it may maybe it won't be Greg. Maybe we don't start with Greg. Maybe we need to start talking to Riley. And Somebody, get, and we'll get Riley to do it first because he may be yeah. a little more open to the okay. idea. Okay. Well, somebody, somebody's got to do it. And maybe it's just Jeremy and Spencer, right? Like as they recap the game the day after or something, maybe they start, I don't know, but th it has to happen. And I, I firmly believe that it will, if not this year, then next year, we've got to keep the momentum going elk mode, the elk. I think that I, I hope that we can rely on guys like Jake Hatch, Mitch Harper to just stop calling him Isaac and be like, Hey elk, a quick question for you. And just start calling him elk. Like that's his name. I need that to happen. As those things start to happen. If BYU ever wants to credential us, like we've tried, if BYU ever wants to credential us, that's how I'll refer. Like, I'll just call him elk. I won't call him Isaac. We won't call him Rex. You don't call him 83. It's just, Hey elk. Appreciate you taking the time, you know, and just kind of normalize it. Like people, that's what we need. If you're a student at BYU or you're a neighbor of Rex or his family and you're just checking in on Isaac, don't call him Isaac, call him Elk. Like let's normalize this yes. so that it just becomes like, um, I mean, like who's somebody? I don't know, like Penny Hardaway. His name was Anthony, but like Penny was his name. Nobody ever thought anything of it. His name was Penny. Or 
ha ha Clinton dicks from Alabama. Like, that was, ha ha. What the heck is that supposed to be? Right. Like, let's just normalize. That's like, yeah, yeah, on the sandlot. <laughs> That's what we need. So, that is our quest. Listeners of Give Em Hell Brigham, our quest is to normalize this name so that we just call him Elk. With that said, are there any other players that you think can make apt, like, animal? We had a little bit of discussion, like, is Dallin Holker, like, is he like a caribou? If if he's the elk, is Holker like a moose or a caribou? Like, is everyone in the tight end room going to be get a nickname comparable to a North American big game animal? See, I don't want to... Is it strictly tight ends or can every all players be eligible? Because, you know, I said Sione Finau, like he's really springy. Like he kind of runs like a whitetail. <laughs> I, I think to answer your question, all players are eligible, but I, I don't think we can force them, right? Like let's remember the genesis of this nickname, the elk. It was when we were talking about Freaky Isaac and we were trying to find a way to describe him. And it was like, yeah, the guy runs like a deer but he weighs more than a deer. And then it became this, like, we had to discuss this and figure out like, well, if he's bigger than a deer, what the heck is, I guess he's an elk. And and it happened organically. So I don't want to, I don't want to say we're going to go through and just assign an animal to every player. I I don't mind the whitetail comparison, but I don't know that we're going to call him whitetail. Also, can you say whitetail in 2021? I don't know. If, I don't know if words like that are allowed anymore. I'm pretty sure that, that that white-tailed deer is going to be a fluffy-tailed deer or something like that at some yeah. point. Perhaps. Um, so I don't know, but I, I I agree. I like the idea. I think that we yeah could Isaac Rex be or could uh, Dallin Holker be a caribou? Sure, could be. I kind of look at I look at him and I see like a condor, like a really big bird that can just like fly around and he's kind of, he's pretty fast, but he's still just huge. And you wouldn't expect a condor to be able to fly 50 miles an hour, but I like Dallin Holker can fly. Like he was a wide receiver at Lehigh. You don't expect somebody that size to be as fast as he is, but he's got to earn that. I'm not calling him the condor yet. I'm not there. I'm just not. And also condors are scavengers. I don't think that's what Holker is. So you got to figure it out. Yeah. I think maybe, I don't think we need to, yeah, I think everyone deserves to have a natural and organic animal name bestowed upon them, but yes. it, but we can't force it into like oh we're gonna we're only doing like you know big game, or this position is big game, this you know position is upland game. Like we got varmints over here in the wide receiver room or whatever. <laughs> Somebody somebody's the pheasant. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, we got like it's you know the the demon the corners are all squirrels. Like you're a squirrel, you're a gerbil, right? Like we're not picking varmints over there. But it's I think everybody should get the opportunity to be given a nickname by you and me. <laughs> I agree. I think that it should happen it's got to happen organically but look as we get into breaking down these games it's going to happen there's no question about it it is going to happen and maybe you know i think we're going to resurrect and we're going to try more of the the post-game call-in show this year and uh you can even do like you know actually if you have a suggestion for a nickname then tell us you know reach out tell us give us a player 
give us Put why. It-, it needs to have scientific fact. Like yes. Isaac Rex was bigger than a deer. So that led us to considering the elk, yeah. right? Like it needs I- to be scientifically, what is the trait of that animal that makes this player like, you know, that makes and it I, so this player can be called I, this. I need to see it in a review on Apple. Like, if you're an Android person, you don't use Apple, tell us, fine. But we have been stuck at 56 reviews for, like, months. Like, people have stopped rating and reviewing. We haven't been groveling. Well, we don't grovel. Part of it. That is. And that's that's standard for podcasts is to gravel for those subscribe to the show, rate the show, review the show. And we're not going to grovel. But if you guys could, it'd be helpful. So here we are. We're asking for, I think, the first time since, like, I don't know, Christmas. Please leave us a review, rate, subscribe. It does help. It helps us grow our audience. And I think maybe that's the biggest difference between our subscribership from before like we were getting active reviews and we were growing and now we, we're, we're not we're not falling but we stayed kind of at an even level for the last several months yeah. it's time like help us out so we could continue to grow and uh make this better that's it that's all i got that's my plea to everybody listening if you're listening at this point you're an hour and 20 some odd minutes into this please 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 leave a review Leave a like, leave a review, share it with your friends, and give them hell. Give them hell.